Hello and welcome to the Yoga Masala Chat Podcast. My name is Anne and I am an Ashtanga Yoga practitioner and teacher based in Singapore. In this inaugural episode, I speak to my dear friend Angie Cartwright, who is also a passionate yoga teacher now based in Sydney. So tune in more for our discussion on how the yoga practice and industry is evolving in the midst of the coronavirus outbreak. And where will this lead us to? Um, thanks, Angie, for um, agreeing to this, uh, my first ever podcast to discuss, you know, how this um, uh, coronavirus is affecting the yoga industry or yoga practice um, in general. I mean, I, I don't really know what's it like over in Australia or in Sydney, the context, how the, the virus has um, uh, evolved and how it's uh, impacting people. But, you know, I mean, over here in Singapore, I think, you know, we were one of the first uh, um, uh, countries to be hit with uh, when the virus started exporting from um, China. Then we had some community cases. It died down. Um, and then we had a second wave of uh, cases coming in from um, returning residents. And finally, now, I think most of our cases, in fact, yesterday we recorded our highest number of cases, over 940 cases. Um but these are predominantly uh, in the foreign worker uh, community. So quite contained, but still quite uh, worrying because um, they're all, they're really like, I think one sixth of our population are made up of like foreign workers and they, they live in um, quarters that are really quite cramped. So anyway, I digress. <laughs> um, yeah, so I mean, with, with, with that, I think the, the yoga industry in Singapore, I mean, I've um, it's it's hard not to be um, not to think about you know how how it impacts us right from the beginning. Like when I was when I first started um, when when the virus first started, I was thinking, okay, um, how is this going to impact impact the industry? As at, at what point you know is the industry even even prepared for uh, a pandemic? this sort or mm. I don't think we've ever even been been exposed to uh, any disaster or crisis of this sort before mm. um, and at what point do we decide that you know that, that yoga studios need to close what what do students need to do uh, things like that were on the top of my mind um, and what I witnessed in, in, in Singapore at least you know the yoga studios I think they were kind of uh, adopting a wait and see approach pretty much everyone was still going on with yoga classes um, and um, only when government started to issue advisories um, like you know wash your hands more regularly or cover your nose and mouth when you need to cough things like that then you know I see that some yoga studios start to issue advisories to their students as such as well and then gradually when the um, uh, measures were tightened uh, government um, decided that you know we uh, we were going to have only at most ten students in a room with at least one meter clearance uh, um, between people, between persons, and that was also uh, implemented in in most studios and in fact all studios. Um, so I think the industry in in the yoga industry in Singapore is pretty much quite, I guess, reactive in a sense. Um, in light of the coronavirus. But I guess that's also probably because, you know, there hasn't been 
they don't have the experience. Um, and I also wonder if, you know, they, the industry could have been a bit more proactive in this sense as well. Mm. But I don't know, what, what is your experience like, Angie, in, in, in your side of the world? Yeah, I think um, it's been pretty upsetting as someone who lived in Singapore for five years to see this second wave of infections. It seemed initially like Singapore had done a fantastic job, which they did in um, with the first wave of coronavirus and managing to kind of pull through that. And the rest of the world was really looking to Singapore as a success story. So it's been just really sad to see that um, this really terrible virus has come back, um, particularly in those communities which are disadvantaged already. Um, and I think to some extent, Australia has been very lucky um, with the timing. So we were able to see the experience of other countries um, in Europe, for example, that were really having a hard time with it. And um, fortunately, our government stepped in very early with um, things like shutting borders and allowing only residents and citizens in, um, and then also introducing the isolation or physical distancing measures. So it's actually really good here, thankfully now. Our infections have gone down uh, consistently since they brought those measures in. Um, the question now is really how long will it have to stay like that? Um, so I think it's been equally challenging for the yoga industry here as it has in Singapore. And I think you, you're absolutely right that studios were not prepared for this kind of outbreak at all. And I think the other thing that was challenging was that we didn't really know how bad coronavirus was going to be when it started. Um, we've had these respiratory virus outbreaks before and thought the worst was going to happen and it hasn't. And I think the initial information that came out um, from China was quite conflicting. It, it really wasn't clear how bad it was going to be. So I think to that extent, the, the yoga industry could potentially have acted more quickly, but I don't think it's anyone's fault um, that they weren't prepared. At the same time, I think the the infrastructure is better than it's ever been for the yoga industry to get through this. So had had this sort of thing happened in previous outbreaks at this extent, like SARS, it would have been really hard for teachers and studio owners to continue at all. Whereas at least now we do have social media, we have all of these platforms that people can use for uh, teaching their students. So in that sense, I guess we can say we're fortunate that there is a way to continue teaching and practicing and communing, which is a big part of yoga. Um, in the past, we certainly wouldn't have had that. Um, and I think it's been really positive to see that some teachers and some studios, studios have taken a real leadership role since the beginning of the outbreak. Um, I know that in Singapore, a lot of studios were really taking hygiene measures very seriously very, very early on. Um, at the same time, I think some studios probably didn't do as much as they could have and um, there's been a bit of a lack of leadership from some high-profile yoga teachers um, in not so much dismissing the virus but um, sort of putting the way that yoga is practised today in terms of in studios around other people, kind of putting that ahead of the broader public interest in terms of um, I guess, shutting down a little earlier in recognition that the way that we do yoga is probably slightly dangerous when you have an outbreak that is passed on through that kind of close physical contact. So I guess it's been good and bad, 
um, for the yoga industry, if we want to call it an industry. But I think there's there is hope, or I have hope at least, that with the modern technology that we have, that um, teachers and studios will be able to pull through if we're if it's not too long that we're shut down in our respective countries. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a, I mean, it's a good point you brought up about, you know, I think we live in a time of like technology and, um, and, and that has facilitated a lot of our yoga practices, whether as individuals, practitioners or as yoga teachers. I mean, I really couldn't have imagined if say, if this happened like 10, 20 years ago, probably we'll, we'll just be self-practicing at home or not practicing at all or doing mm. other stuff. Um, but yeah, so I think a lot of, um, I mean, on, onto the question, onto the topic of like um, uh, going into live stream classes and video classes and whatnot. I mean, interestingly, I think this is, this is not new. Um, I do know of yoga teachers uh, who have taught classes uh, via um, video conferencing. And um, in those instances, it's because um, clearly it's not like in Singapore where, you know, you can travel uh, to anywhere within 30 minutes but these are in places where it's quite remote and the student finds it difficult to to commute or, or having a long commute to the yoga studio just because of you know the distance and um, uh, where they live so mm. the video conferencing seemed to be a more um, uh, natural and uh, a reasonable option and obviously as well, I mean, there are um, other videos uh, posted on YouTube or other more commercialized platforms where students can always um, uh, look at videos and, and practice and so on. You know, mm. there was a time, um, well, not that there was a time, but I mean, some yoga teachers before the coronavirus situation would argue that, you know, um, going for online classes or looking at videos is clearly not... Um, the best way to to learn uh, mm. yoga right but i mean in in a situation like this in corona in coronavirus and pandemic situations um there it's 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 really an opportunity i think um it's it's not just about the you know i think when you it's not just about um the, the students coming for class and the teacher carrying out the class but you know i think in uh, a Zoom or video classes, um, interestingly, I feel that there is a shared responsibility between the teacher and the student. Whereas mm. when, the when the student comes to class in a yoga um, studio, it's, it's very passive. The mat is laid out there mm. most of the time for most studios. Um, and the job is just to be led passively. Whereas I think in, um, in like um, uh, online class, live stream class, there is this preparation work needed by the student as well. So they have to set aside time, like say, oh, okay, it's time for my yoga class. I need to stop what I'm doing, get dressed, lay out my mat, you know, make sure that my um, camera is, is it's on and I can hear the teacher, mm. the teacher can see me, things like that. That's a lot more shared responsibility um, in terms of taking ownership of um, the, the, the practice, the class as well. Mm. But yeah. It's kind of the side of yoga that's um, almost discipline. I call it the discipline side where it's um, it's in some ways the hardest part about going to a studio for a class, I always say, is just getting to the studio. So whether it's leaving work on time to get there or getting up in time to go before work or, you know, making time in your day to go in your lunch break or if you 
have kids, you know, finding that someone to take care of them. If you've got little kids and you want to get out for class, the hardest part often is just getting to the studio. And once you're there, I think we can become a bit spoiled. So we rely on that collective energy to push us forward in the practice. We rely on the encouragement and the instruction from the teacher. And those are really good and positive things. But I think the difficulty that some people will be having now is they'll be confronting that they've never really had to, um, you know, find that discipline from inside themselves to practice. Um, so I don't think it's a bad thing for students at all to have to interrogate that and confront that because the practice isn't really about doing the shapes on the mat. It's about that kind of introspection and the self-reflection. So this is actually a fantastic opportunity for that and I think the people who continue to practice throughout this outbreak, I think will find some really big shifts in what practice means to them, um, what yoga means to them. And, and if people are finding it difficult and they lack motivation and they lack discipline, if you want to call it that, I guess there's two things to say, which is that one, it's already a very difficult time for a lot of people if they're worried about the virus, if they're worried about their loved ones who might be more susceptible to it, if they're worried about their jobs or they've lost their jobs, there's a lot of anxiety out there already. So you don't want yoga to become another source of anxiety where you feel bad if you're not practicing or if you're watching a lot of people on social media who seem to be doing these amazing things <laughs> during this time. Mm. It's, it's just the worst possible time to get into that comparison game. So that's the first thing to say is don't let yoga be another form of anxiety for you. But also recognise that part of the practice is that difficulty and that the trying to show up and sometimes not managing to do it and sometimes not having the focus or getting distracted by your kids or your partner or who knows what it is. That's still part of it is the coming and going and coming and going. So none of it is wrong and any any yoga that you ever do is better than not doing the yoga so i think that hopefully will be part of the opening up of people's understanding of yoga during this period will be you don't have to go to a class for 60 or 75 minutes to be doing yoga you can do as little as five minutes at home and it can be as it can be shavasana like some mm. days that will be enough for you and it's better to do five minutes of shavasana Mm. or legs mm. up the wall or whatever it is or if you need some energy you know doing a few rounds of Surya Namaskara sun salutations will be better than not doing it so I think it's an opportunity for people to realize that we often let the perfect be the enemy of the good when it comes to yoga and we say well I didn't make it to class so I stuffed up and you kind of beat yourself up and then you don't do anything when in fact, hopefully after this, when we are all back at work and rushing about our lives, if we don't make it to class, maybe we know now that we can go home and take that five or ten minutes to do some Surya Namaskara and some legs up the wall and a Shavasana and we will understand that mm. that is much better than the perfect ideal of going to a class every mm. day or twice a week or whatever your kind of minimum, previous minimum was. Maybe we will make yoga more of an everyday thing that works in our lives rather than trying to impose some other ideal of what the practice should be. Yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely resonate with that. You know, I think like um, it's been, well, over two weeks now in, in Singapore uh, in terms of the quote and unquote lockdown. 
And part of my personal practice, definitely, um, I find has been that, you know, I'm a lot kinder to myself. Um, whereas, you know, previously I would uh, lock myself six days a week to a, uh, to a shala to practice yoga. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would, um, whether it just sheer will or, or just whatever it takes, you know, just try and um, bulldoze my way through the entire practice. And I have to finish a certain set of, uh, um, of postures uh, or sequence. And then I feel, okay, I'm satisfied. And, and, and that's it. Mm. Um, but, you know, the self-practice part of it. So right now I, in, I wake up in the morning and I spend uh, part of my morning practicing before I start work. The, the good thing about self-practice is you, I, I, feel, I feel my body a bit more, a lot more. And I have a bit more compassion for myself. Um, I don't feel the pressure to rush or the pressure to want to complete everything. I just go with, okay, I'm just going to do one, this pose. I'm going to do, do another pose. I'm going to do one more pose. Mm-hmm. And then I feel how it goes. Yeah. And, and if I feel like, okay, I think my shoulders are really tight today. Fine. Then maybe I can, I'm not going to do the talk back because it's going to hurt my, the TikTok. Uh, mm. posture um you know it's gonna hurt my shoulders a lot more um so i i definitely think that i don't know how the other practitioners are feeling it but for me i think that having this time to myself away from sometimes being in a shala or a, a, a studio environment can yeah can 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 give you a certain sort of energy or pressure um, to want to complete your set of um, um, practice, I suppose, mm. and and that I think has been eliminated with with um, home practice. I feel for myself. Yeah, I think so. And I think as much as showing up to do the practice is part of the discipline, I think the other part of the discipline that we all need to cultivate and grow is around the discipline of self compassion, and that. It's not always compassionate to force yourself to finish your sequence. If you're an Ashtangi, it's not always compassionate in a um, lead class, whether it's vinyasa or hatha or power. It's not always compassionate to do everything that the teacher instructs or to take every option just because you can. Um, And I think that's the other really positive opportunity that you've identified there is that people, hopefully by discovering self-practice, will find more of a their own practice how it feels in their own body and when they do push themselves and do the things that are more challenging um, have a greater sense of ownership over that and then also develop that kind of intuition as to at at some times I don't feel good doing these things and it's okay to not do that I guess that's the the physical side of the self-reflection that I think we can really bypass when we're reliant on studio classes or my soul practice with mm. a teacher and with other students around us. So that's mm. that's a big opportunity I think that you've identified that you're experiencing as well. Yeah, but you know I think the the the, the challenge for me and probably for practitioners as well sometimes it's it's knowing how much to push and um is is it is it a, a case of uh my body really not not feeling up to it and I should stop or am I just finding excuses because I dread the pose or I I, I dread the challenge or the feelings uh, that might come up with it 
Mm-hmm. Um, that, 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 that's always a, uh, yeah, difficult question, you know, that, that I find that I have to, to weigh when, when, when I'm thinking about should I skip the polls or should I um, go deeper? Yeah. And I, for me, like, for instance, you know, I, um, I have prior to, prior to the coronavirus, I have never done my, um, my TikToks in my home because I would be like, okay, I think there's a table there, there is a, <laughs> a, a chair, my fridge is in the way, I've got a ceiling fan. <laughs> yeah. like, this is tons danger. of, uh, yeah, danger, right? And I'm like, danger to myself and, and danger to the property. And, yeah. um, um, but you know, so and and I'm like, you know what? I I think I I'm gonna stretch my hands out. And I think yeah, I think I have some clearance. Let's just try it and see how it mm. goes. And then so I I did one and then I did two times, did three times. And I oh, it's okay. I I think I I can do this. Yeah. So but sometimes it's it's also um, I guess the the what I'm trying to say here is that you know you need you need it is difficult to balance between yeah. um you know where is a comfort zone to push it a little bit further. But at the same time, knowing and understanding that it is, is it your mind that's playing tricks with you or is it like physically really today your body is not up for it and um, you really should just uh, stop and maybe do something else. And, and I think that's like yeah. kind of specific Ashtanga mindset as well. I, I'm not sure how many other yogis have that same internal dialogue of, you know, not wanting to do this thing that might not feel good in my body. So I know during the time that I've been away from Singapore, I've really taken a long break from my Ashtanga practice. And to me, where I am now, mm-hmm. the idea of doing something in yoga that doesn't feel good is not part of my practice. It definitely was for the years that I was practicing Ashtanga. And it might be again. And I think you can learn a lot from that process of kind of inter- it's a different kind of self-interrogation where you're coming up against that discomfort and I think the thing that a lot of people enjoy in Ashtanga is that if I can face these difficulties and these mental challenges on my mat then I can do it in my life outside of the mat as well it's kind of like a practice run for that but I think the other side of that is if it feels like it's um, if these poses feel like they really are too much too intense or they strain your body or they're giving you discomfort after the practice, it, you should never have discomfort after you've done a pose. As a teacher, if someone would come to my class mm. and tell me afterwards that they had pain later that day or the next day or the day after, that would really distress and worry me. Mm. Um, and I think that's something that's almost taken for granted in Ashtanga is that the practice can cause pain and that, mm. that sometimes some teachers will say that's a your body opening for me, that's not right. That's not yoga. That's a form of violence on yourself. And in yoga, we practice ahimsa, which is nonviolence. And I think you have to start with yourself. Having said that, there's a difference between difficulty or discomfort mm. and pain. And I think mm. this, hopefully, this time of self practice and home practice will help, particularly Ashtangis, but all of us who tend to be mm. more towards that side of like pushing and striving will mm. help us to really realize you know, that it is okay to not want to do something because it feels bad in your body, that maybe your body has been telling you something and maybe you can find a better way of doing it or maybe Mm. it's okay as well to not do it. Um, Mm. I think people will be, particularly Ashtanga people, will be renegotiating the terms of their practice. Um, It is a very defined practice Mm. and that doesn't mean 
at all. It's, it is a self-practice. Even if you're in a shala, even if you're doing a leg class, it's still a self-practice. In, mm. in any yoga class that you go to, it's your practice whether you're doing it with a teacher in the room or not. Um, so hopefully this period will really empower people to take that on and take responsibility for it. Mm, I, I fully agree. I mean, like you rightly point out, right, it is your practice and not anyone else's practice. So, I mean, even if someone were to tell you you should do this, this, that, 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 and at the end of the day, I think you need to take ownership because it is your practice and you know your body best more than anyone else, whether mm. or not, you know, uh, such postures are good for you or not. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot of things to think about. I mean, obviously, yoga is not just about asana, focus. I mean, obviously, with, with the, uh, most people are more asana-centric in the practice mm. than anything else. But, you know, for me, I feel as well that because now I have a bit more time without having to commute to work or commute to the to the yoga studio to teach or to, to practice, um, I also have a lot more time to to do the, the other aspects of yoga and, and predominantly more breathing, more pranayama yeah. and um, to a little bit of extent, uh, meditation. Yeah. So mm. I would say that, you know, I, I, I hope as well that the um, yoga practitioners would also try to incorporate more of these practices in their home practice if they've not already done so yeah and to some extent I think those some of the other practices are almost more accessible from home um, I started practicing yoga nidra a couple of years ago when I had a surgery and I really I couldn't even do a seated forward bend <laughs> because of for about a month after my surgery and mm. um I'd always been interested in yoga nidra and I found a teacher who had some online classes that were free. So I just started doing the same practice every day for the month when I was recovering and it kind of hooked me and I ended up finding that this teacher had an app with lots and lots of different practices. It's like financially very accessible. If people have lost their jobs and they can't pay, there are lots of free yoga nidra practices out there and I think I'm really grateful to have that practice now because in a way it's um, it's a very nurturing practice and I think for all that there is some anxiety and worry at the moment, perhaps those nurturing practices are even more important now. And I know a lot of people are worried that they're not getting their exercise in or they're eating a lot or drinking a lot or whatever <laughs> it is. But my view on that is you do what you need to do to get through this period. And I don't mean like drink a bottle of wine every night, but if eating a bit of chocolate makes you feel good, then I don't think that's a bad thing if having a glass of wine or a gin and tonic at the end of the day kind of gives you that transition from work day into evening, mm -hmm. then it's not a time to be beating yourself up as long as your behaviours aren't destructive and eating some chocolate and having a couple of glasses of wine is not destructive for most people. Mm. Um, I don't think you need to go and think about exercising that off. This is not the time for that. Um, and maybe doing those more restorative and nurturing practices um, will even take the edge off a bit and you won't feel so much like you are relying on the food or the wine. Uh, mm. But if you are and it's an enjoyment, then that's okay too. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, so I mean... So this leads me to, you know, think about as well. Um, obviously, I don't know how the coronavirus is, how long it's going to last. With this. Some people think that it's going to be um, until next year. Some people are a bit more positive, like within like Q3, it should 
clear. I don't know. But regardless, I mean, at the end of it all, you know, things will change. I mean, at least the way to the way we view our practices, the way uh, the yoga industry and, and practitioners move forward. What are your mm. thoughts about that? And how what do you think is this is going to come out of it? Yeah, I think it's a real worry in the short term for studios. I think the reality is that some studios will not get through this. And that's really sad. The yoga studios at the best of the time at the best of times don't make a profit. They're just covering expenses and it's not a business that people go into for the money. Um, so that's a real sadness and a shame is the reality that the, some studios won't get through this. Um, but for those that do, hopefully they will have kind of diversified their offering. And I think hopefully students will become more willing to pay for different ways of receiving yoga instruction. Um, I think up until now, it's been a little bit fringe to pay for um, online classes, yeah. maybe because people feel like they're already paying the studio. Um, so they don't want to pay again. And there is a lot of free content on mm. YouTube or whatever. Um, so hopefully the studios will have that offering that, you know, maintains the online classes while offering the in-person classes. Because to me, that's kind of as with my teacher's hat on, that's the ideal is, um, you know, I would always want students to come to class, obviously. It's part of that mm. community aspect of yoga that's really important. Um, and I think particularly when people are starting out in yoga, it can be really helpful to have a teacher explain why there are certain things like putting your feet in a certain place or, mm. you know, whether you want to engage a certain muscle or have a bend in your leg to protect your body. I think that's invaluable when mm. particularly, and when I say starting out, I mean the first few years of practice. For me, mm. it's still very useful when I go to a new teacher who's experienced, who will see something in my body that I'm doing that mm. they can offer a suggestion that might help me to protect myself. So I don't mm. think we'll ever not need teachers, mm. but I really hope that people will start to supplement their um, class practices with home practices and the gateway to a real genuine self-practice where it's just you and your mat, maybe some music if you're into that. But the gateway mm. to that is to me doing those video classes because it does help with the discipline side of it. And I know from what people told me when I was teaching a lot they really struggle with that discipline of you know how, how do I do self-practice I don't know what to do I don't you know I I get distracted and I think if you've been doing yoga for a while you do know what to do if you you know put yourself on mat and let go of the expectations you will find yourself doing something the problem is we might not know how to construct a really beautiful looking flow like we do in a class or see um, mm. on Instagram. That's not what yeah. you need to do for self-practice. Um, so, yeah, mm. hopefully, I, I really hope that the studios that make it through this really awful time will have a more varied offering. Mm. And I hope that students will realise what a valuable service the studios give them um, and, you know, maybe be a bit more prepared to pay for the quality of the instruction that they're receiving and to me, that kind of value offering in the future hopefully will be, you know, this is what you can do in studio and here is how you can continue the practice outside of the studio in your own time. Yeah. You know, I think for me, I, I, I feel that um, 
coming out of the coronavirus, definitely there's going to be, I hope, um, a lot less um, judgment on the practicing on videos, you with videos mm. uh, of our self-practice. Um, I think it will be a little bit more acceptable. I think we have to understand that sometimes some circumstances just don't allow for people to be practicing with a teacher and that uh, and you, it's okay um, to use a video or use um, um, digital means to, to supplement your practice. Mm. But like you also rightly point out, there is also a lot of value uh, in terms of going to a physical studio, having a physical teacher to guide you. Um, and I would say definitely for the first few years of your practice, um, I think after some time you, you do have that kind of awareness, but before that, when you're still um, quite new to the practice, I think definitely having a teacher to be able to see how you move um, and some of your, uh, the, your habits in, in your practice to be able to, to break that out. I think that, that, that is important. Mm. Um, and I think the other important thing is also in, in, a, in a physical class is the point about um, touch that mm. uh, you don't get in online classes. And I'm, in touch, I mean not just about adjustments, um, obviously, uh, having the adjustment, it gives you a little bit more. It's another way of um, instruction um, other than verbal cues. Mm. And that helps in the students' movements and, and, and corrections and whatnot. But um, sometimes I think we just need to be able to see people, to be able to touch mm. people. And, and you know, there's, there, is, there is a lot of, there is, there is reason why classes such as, you know, the restorative kind of class, uh, yin classes, the sort of classes where, um, you know, there is a little bit where the teacher gives you a little massage or a mm. little relaxation at the end. Why they, these classes are so popular? I think people people need that touch and it's important. Mm. Um, and then, then the yeah. other point as well, I think it's also community. I think mm. being able to see, um, to be part of a class, um, a community that practices together with you um, is, is important for you, for the practitioner, both, um, yeah, mentally and um, socially, I think. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's kind of what one of the big things that people are missing now, full stop, is that kind of loss of face-to-face -face community and as great as it is that we have um, Zoom and FaceTime and Skype, it's not the same as seeing people in person. And I think that, I think people are going to be rushing back to yoga studios and gyms and, you know, really embracing that feeling of community and maybe being a little bit more, um, maybe even being a little bit more involved in those communities. I think it's certainly in Sydney people have this busy, busy all the time rushing, don't have time to make new friends, don't have time to hang around. Um, and maybe after this period of like slowing down and taking stock and realising what's important, we might prioritise a bit more that feeling of community and those links. So that, that could be another really nice thing that comes out of this time is that yoga studios become a bit more of a centre for that, of bringing like-minded people together. I think it's one of the reasons that people get so drawn to Ashtanga when they have a shala where they live is that you really do develop a community of like-minded people Mm. Um, the more that you get into yoga, often you find that your old friends and your old ways of socialising aren't so much what you enjoy anymore. Mm. And I think that's the great thing about um, Ashtanga is that you're seeing the same people every day, you're all doing the same, sometimes really crazy stuff, 
um, and you enjoy doing the same things like going out for coffee and, and not staying out until midnight at night. Um, so yeah, I would really like to see that kind of replicated in more studios, a bit more community. And um, you mentioned class pass before. I think that's part of what's probably made it quite difficult for some studios now yeah. that have really relied on the class pass model. It's, it's going to be harder for those studios to keep the students engaged um, with video classes Whereas what I'm observing here is that the classes that have a really strong membership, the studios that have a really strong membership base that aren't using ClassPass mm -hmm. seem to be engaging a lot better on those um, online platforms. Mm. So I think that's a learning, I guess, for studios going forward. Yeah, I agree. You know, and you brought up a point previously about, you know, hopefully that students, you know, um, come out of this um, feeling a bit more appreciative and more willing to pay for quality classes mm. to the studios where, where they, you know, where they learn and they, they feel that, you know, that it's, it's, it's a value to their practice or to their uh, lifestyle. Mm. I, I, I hope this is the point that, you know, uh, practitioners and students will take with them coming out of the coronavirus as well. I mean, mm. it's, it's, if, if, if you... If you are practicing at the studio and you do feel that, you know, I mean, if you're on class passes, that's totally fine. I mean, class pass is meant for you to go and try around different studios and see what you like and what you don't like. And if you really like variety and um, you just like to go and studio hop and, and try a variety of classes, that's fine. You can go on class pass. That's all good. Mm. But if you find yourself coming to the same studio over and over again and um, coming to the same few teachers over and over again, then maybe you might want to consider investing in a um, a studio pass with that mm. particular studio because yeah. that would really help the studio a lot. Um, it's it's as it is. I think yoga studios and yoga teachers they, they are not. I don't think we're if we're really in to to make a profit. I mean, we wouldn't choose to be yoga teachers. No, it's, it's I, not it's not the most profitable job in the world. <laughs> I don't think people realise how much yoga teachers invest in their education either. I know I'm currently working in an office role again for the first time in years and I haven't paid for education for that, my professional field, since I finished university 18 years ago, whereas mm. I was paying and giving my time to my yoga education every single year when I was teaching. Uh, you and I have both done year-long apprenticeships where we would be observing and then assisting our teacher for no pay for hours and hours each week in addition to paid work, in addition to other responsibilities. Um, so I think if people understood just how committed yoga teachers are towards their learning and we do that because we're interested in it and we love it, but we also do it because we want to provide the best instruction that we can and we have the best understanding for our students and can keep them safe and you know offer something to them I think if people really understood what yoga yeah. teachers put in um, they might see that paying the studio membership is really worth it and it's a it's a value proposition that you don't get with class pass I agree with you class pass is great for getting people in and I, I really strongly believe that there's no wrong way to do yoga. So if it really works for you, like you say, if it's what you love, then great. But when I was teaching in Singapore, I would have the same students coming on class pass every single week to my class. And some <laughs> of them would end up buying a membership, but some of them wouldn't. And 
you know, I think maybe studios need to be a little bit more flexible in terms of their passes. You know, maybe in Singapore have a longer expiry time on your 10 class pass. You know, maybe that's a way of doing it so that students, if they do have, say, two or three teachers they love and they're all at different studios, maybe mm. they can have a couple of those passes going and don't try and force people onto these very long memberships that are kind of off-putting for some people. Mm. To some extent, I think the big corporate studios have kind of created the space for this monster mm. of class pass to come in and the small studios will never be able to compete with those membership packages. Mm. Um, but I don't think it's an ideal to have the majority of the yoga practising population using these class pass type apps permanently it's not sustainable for the studios and at the end of the day I think hopefully the coronavirus outbreak will make us realize how important our studios are and we're going to see some of the studios we love disappear um, and hopefully once we're on the other side of it those of us who are still employed will be prepared to pay a bit more and I think that goes well beyond yoga I know now you know a lot more people are looking at doing things like buying gift vouchers from their favourite restaurants or if they have a beautician who can't work, you know, mm. tipping the Uber Eats drivers, tipping the delivery riders. Mm. There's a, you know, those who have the means, I think, are realising the responsibility that we have to keep supporting the businesses we love because it's, mm. it's out of self-interest, you know. Mm. We want them to keep going. And also I think you just can't underestimate what it means to those people to say, I value you. You know, I love what you offer. I want to keep you around. That's just so important. And certainly with yoga, you don't understand what it means to a teacher or a studio when you buy a pass with them. It's really, it really is just a lovely thing to do to say in this really competitive market where there's so many studios and teachers to say, I choose to continue to practice with you. It means a lot. So mm. hopefully people will do that more once this is all over yeah I mean the, I just want to end off with you know, just saying that you know I think uh, a shout out to, to class pass as well and you brought out a point about um, how some um, restaurants have uh, uh, come up with like vouchers where you can actually um, buy the vouchers and then they will give to the friends or reserve them and use them later on and just to keep the industry going right mm. so class pass actually had this um um, initiative where they ask the students to make a donation to their favorite uh, yoga studios um, mm -hmm. just to tide them through this this difficult period and um, uh, some studios I know actually did, did receive a bit of uh, a mystery money and, and found out that it was actually a donation from students so that was quite nice. That's so, so nice. Yeah that was that's really nice just to and end I off think, in a nice note. <laughs> yeah I think there will always be a place for class pass as well like I think mm -hmm. it's a is I, certainly when I moved back to Sydney, I for the first time ever I got class pass because I didn't have a studio here. I had been away for so long, I didn't remember any any teachers or studios that I previously went to, um, and it was really good for that. Um, mm. So it's not to it's not to say it's bad. It's just to mm. say it's to me it's a means to an end. It's for that exploration or, for example, if you like doing a little bit of yoga or a little bit of bar a little bit of whatever else it is, then I think ClassPass is awesome for that. But if we're looking at the sustainability of these independent studios, whether it's yoga or small gyms or bar studios, um, and there's a place that you really love, then that's a way to really support them and they're going to need that, they really are going to need that steady income 
um, to keep going after this. The ones that get through are going to be scraping through and it's going to be through a lot of sacrifice on the part of the owners and letting go of teachers. And in Australia, the teachers are lining up for unemployment benefits now. They're mm. doing so many free classes. They're partnering with corporates to offer, you know, free classes to people where they can. It's right. like they're not people who have huge amounts of savings to fall back on. Um, so the studios and the teachers that make it through and are you know, willing to keep teaching and offering classes on the other side, they're so going to need as much support as we can give them. Yeah, definitely. Okay. All right, then, Angie, I think um, that's it for our first uh, podcast. And um, thank you so much for talking to me. And um, I really wish this um, coronavirus um situation um, when I work out with the yoga industry and practitioners um, both you know will come out of this situation a bit more hopefully positive um, and um, have a bit more understanding about you know what what the yoga practice means to them and how they can evolve um, better in their own practices yeah. Yeah. it was a pleasure to talk to you and hopefully when this is all over and we're allowed to travel again I will see you again yes eventually. please I want to see you in person please <laughs> <laughs> all right thank you so much angie thank you and take care all right take care bye 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 bye